welcome to Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Allen. This episode, we're going off the usual path. Actually, quite a ways off from my studio in Toronto. Back to where it all begins, the Philippines. Can't really explore Filipino kitchens without going to the motherland, right? So today, no interviews, just some raw thoughts from my trip instead. And you'll hear horns rise above the traffic of Manila, tricycles speeding by, calm of the countryside, and horses on the cobbled streets of Viga Nalocosur. Let's go. Hello, everyone. It is now Friday. I've been in Manila for about a week now. I landed on a Sunday morning. And to be honest, everything's a bit of a whirlwind. It's, it's such a barrage on the senses to be back here amidst the traffic and the noise that you can probably hear just outside the window. Um, I'm staying in Makati City, which is uh, sort of the central uh, business district of Manila. And over the last couple of days, I've been meeting with people for interviews for the podcast and to uh, reconnect with some friends who I'm so glad to have uh, been able to, to meet. The city can swallow you up, and that's the case for, for any big city. Um, whether you grow up in it or move there for, for school or for work, and yesterday I went on a tour of Intramuros, which is the old walled city of Manila. I took this tour that's run by a friend of mine, and it was really interesting because we talked about Philippine history in a completely different context than what we were taught in schools, from um, grade school all the way up to high school and even college. and. There's such a big gap in, in all of this, in how food, culture, and traditions, to be more specific, uh, is is communicated to, to young people. I really just believe, or I really hope, rather, that, you know, at some point, the educational curriculum in, in high schools and all the way through colleges, and especially if you go to a culinary institution like I did, um, it would just make such a big difference to have that type of content where you talk about the history of Philippine cuisines and providing context around the culture of how and why our food traditions have developed in this particular way is something that you know just doesn't exist right now. It's not to say that people aren't doing something about it. They definitely are. And a big part of the reason I'm here is because I want to talk to these people and try in my, my little way to bring these stories to life a bit more, to show people all over the world, both, you know, whether you're a local or someone who's just visiting the Philippines, one of the many backpackers who are traveling through this area that I'm in right now. The Philippines has such a unique food culture and heritage and traditions that are kind of buried underneath the surface. You know, they're hidden. They're, they're there, but they definitely need 
a bit of explanation and telling those stories through through a local's perspective is is necessary because you know foreign food writers coming into the city and talking about you know the latest uh, the Filipino Heritage Restaurant that's opened is um, is important, but it doesn't paint the right picture. <laughs> and Filipino people have such a deep story to tell. Um, their experiences are ones that you can't really replicate, and telling those stories in our voices, I think, is something that's really lacking. How that affects me is that I, again, growing up here, I, I always think about why would I spend several thousand pesos on a meal when I could go down the road and you know, not have the same ambiance or not the same quality of food, but, you know, still sinigang, still adobo, still lumpia, and all that stuff that you kind of want in a Filipino restaurant. I really, really want to be able to find a way to bridge that gap between what people see and what people understand of Philippine cuisine and culture, because that story of the middles, they need to be told. But what exactly do I mean by the middles? Well, from a food perspective, I mean stories about what the 100,000 people who work at night in call centers around the country eat for lunch at four in the morning. Or the history of street food staples like fish balls and kikiam made with tofu skins, adidas and pal that are honestly my favorite examples of odd bits and ends transformed into truly Filipino foods by their taste, preparation, affordability, and name. Who else shouts, adidas please, when they want some grilled chicken feet? Probably not the handful of tycoons who basically run the Philippines. But people like those call center workers who spend hours in traffic on the way home during the morning rush. Those are people who I grew up with. Many of my friends work and have built their careers and their adult lives around that industry. It's a big driver of the Philippine economy now to be sure. And walking around the city, driving through the major highways, I see these large condo towers that, you know, is very similar to the way that the condo boom in Toronto is happening in many centers around the world, where you have people who are coming in from the provinces and finding that prosperity and that financial stability that they didn't have, that mean a lot to them. This is why the story of the middles matter. Because we now have the technology and the ability to reach so many people with stories of the food that sustains us. Like a fried chicken rice meal from the corner store, there's so many of them. And the food that we celebrate with, like the sizzling sisig at spots like Manam or Sarsa in Manila 
that your Instagram loving friend just has to have for the birthday. And this stuff is popular for a reason. It's not just because we love fatty, salty foods, but because it's within reach and embedded in everyday Filipinos' definition of comfort food. And it's been that way for decades, which is not a long time, actually. Coming from mass marketing that's pushed American deep-fried chicken into the cores of our hearts. And of economic conditions that turned chopped-up pig's cheeks, ears, and skin from leftovers into a restaurant specialty. That's Filipino ingenuity. But it's not all rosy. If you look at things a little deeper, like I tend to do, you'll notice class distinctions arise even when we talk about food. Like, for example, how certain kinds of food are so closely associated with people who tend to make and eat them. When I was in Manila, I stayed at this little bed and breakfast, a restored heritage house with a really cozy, kind of Spanish era feel. The front desk got my request for a room with a balcony, adding that the neighbor next door made steamed rice cakes called puto every morning. It might get a little loud, she said, when he starts grinding the rice. And <laughs> she goes, you know, they do that at 4 a.m. in the morning, Paul, and we asked them if they could be quiet, but they said that, you know, they also have their business to run. And my first instinct was like, I don't want these people to have to, you know, change what they're doing. That's your way of life. That's your living. That disparity, it's, it's jarring sometimes. It took me a while to understand why this particular thing stuck with me. On a base level, it's because I felt kind of uneasy that, as a guest at this boutique hotel, I'm awarded this kind of superiority, you could call it, some kind of outward power over the puto maker. The guy who wakes up at 3 a.m. every morning to grind rice, make batches of batter, steam the cakes, wrap them in banana leaves, load them onto his cart, and then actually walk around the neighborhood for several hours in the hot sun, hawking the rice cakes he's made. That takes so much work, and an artisanship on the maker's behalf. This guy doesn't measure, and somehow the rice cakes turn out consistently fluffy, I'm told, even when the weather is crazy humid and there's a torrential downpour. I guess, in place of apologies, that a maker of native delicacies may possibly wake guests with the sound of their work. I hope that someday the front desk says something like, By the way, ma'am, you're in the best part of town. There's a native rice cake maker right next door, and if you want freshly steamed rice cakes with some butter or salted eggs for breakfast, all you have to do is ask. Next, we're off to the farm, because I love going to farms. So I'm at the Gawad Kalinga Enchanted Farm. It is someplace in uh, Angat, Bulacan, which is, I'd say, probably about two hours or so outside of Manila, um, give or take. This place is amazing. It's got, it's got a working farm, and 
there's a couple other buildings down the road where a lot of the students who are part of a program here called uh, SEED, which is the School for Experiential Development. They, for lack of a better word, have been so overwhelmingly amazing and I can't even begin to describe how how floored I am by a lot of these kids and what they're doing. This is not a regular school. According to Gawad Kalinga, the nonprofit that houses this school, it's an education-based solution to rural development. I highly encourage you to visit gk1world.com seed for more information. In short, it stands for School of Experiential and Entrepreneurial Development. It's a two-year program developed by a range of innovators in the education, social enterprise, and agriculture industries. The school is positioned as an alternative to community college. Basically, instead of taking generic business courses, students apply for SEED and get housing, food, and an education for free, covered by a scholarship at the farm. The program covers character and community development, business management, communications, financial literacy, and courses on agriculture. While all of this seems pretty standard, the important thing to remember is who applies to be a seed scholar. Those students are 18 to 20 year old kids from some of the most poverty stricken areas of the Philippines from slums in big cities to parts of Mindanao, where armed conflict is still a part of everyday life. The goal is to show these students how and why they are world-class Filipinos, an idea that Gawad Kalinga's founder, Tony Meloto, stands proudly behind. To develop the countryside and uplift millions of farming families who live way below the poverty line, they say that the focus needs to go back to farming sustainably and to growing crops that thrive in Philippine soil. Seed follows a holistic approach to solving these kinds of issues by providing young people from poor communities, really the only ones who understand their problems best, what they need to succeed. They become more than a social entrepreneur or a business owner. They become people who live with dignity and have an immense pride in their work. And that was something I could see from the titas who served us meals and the people who manned the corner store. They become community builders who organize weekly volleyball matches and who, like a cog in the machine of empowering other people to think of themselves as more than just a poor person. And so, back to the farm. The place where I'm sitting at right now is uh, the top level of a spot that faces this. I'm sitting in front of a tranquil rice field with plots of land stretching as far as the eye can see through the hills and into the horizon. It was late afternoon, and the sun looked like a sun-kissed orange, with carabaos and farmers dotting the field. I imagined for a second 
that this is what it might have felt like to be a plantation owner. Just, I guess, to kind of give you a better rundown of the people I've met here so far. Uh, so I have been at the farm by taking a tour with a company called Mad Travel. It stands for Make a Difference Travel. And they are a social enterprise that also started at the farm. Um, this entire week has just been, I mean, people who come here say that it's life-changing. And I understand and see why. Because... Coming here is, it forces you to, well, first off, it throws you into the deep end of things. But what exactly do I mean by that? Well, when you arrive at the farm, you start with a tour of the grounds. That includes the main assembly halls, the dorms, the cafeteria, the pool and basketball court and further on, something called the Bamboo Palace, which I totally fell in love with. Depending on the kind of tour you get, you either spend an afternoon, several days, or a full week with different entrepreneurs at the farm, preparing things like peanut brittle or carabao milk cheese, locally made iced teas or chocolate pastries, or vegetables for community dinners. You will meet so many different kinds of people at the farm. And I get emotional thinking about how, even in my short visit, I learned so much from the people I met. There was Christine, shout out, our mad travel guide and all around awesomest 18 year old I know. Well, after my sisters. She arranged our dinners, hung out with us and talked about her community at the farm and had the prettiest pixie outfit, hands down, at the Halloween party. And yes, it was the best Halloween party I've been to in ages. There was Tita Jenny and Tita June, a bit of a power couple, uh, the host family for a number of French interns throughout the years. We saw beautiful pictures of their kids and the kids who've lived with them, and on more than one occasion, was treated to jokes like this from Tita June. Are you familiar with the... Centipede? You know Centipede? Yes, yes. What is the most hated song by the Centipede or Millipede? You want clue? Yes. Yeah. It's a nursery rhyme. Children's song. Uh. Imagine the Centipede singing, I have two hands, the left and the right, the left and the right, the left. <laughs> And the right, the left, and the right. We've never sang that. You can we get don't it. know that. We don't sing that. We have. <laughs> I legit cannot stop laughing every time I listen to this clip. It's just such a really good reflection of what our week was like there at the farm. Uh, arms are there. If you can see, I have two hands, the left and the right. You have 20 pairs. <laughs> <laughs> The two girls who I'm rooming with here, uh, they're both from, from the UK, and they were traveling throughout Southeast Asia, and they booked the tour without, um, without much background about what Galicalina is, what the farm is about, and even I had a little bit of difficulty kind of explaining to them at the beginning, um, you know, what to expect, because frankly, I had no idea either. Um, and everyone I've talked to so far from the... Dozens of French interns were here. There's a lot of them. 
uh, people who live in the community, in the Gawad Kalinga communities, um, that very simple concept of walang iwanan, which in Tagalog means that no one is left behind, is really sort of the driving force to everything uh, here. It allows people to approach problems and challenges in really different ways. And everyone who we've met, it just shows you on a really basic level how accommodating and how warm-hearted and how hospitable and how humbling it can be to live in the Philippines. You know, many people go through tons of different challenges. Um, this afternoon I was speaking with a student from that school I was talking about earlier. Many students have, have started all these amazing, amazing businesses. And <laughs> throughout the course of the week that I've been here, I've cried several times because just listening to the passion and the drive that these people have is like, you know, people who work in these fancy startups um, in the big cities could learn more than a thing or two from them. The person who I was talking with this afternoon um, developed a brand of flavored uh, sweet potato chips and banana chips. And, you know, she's 20. Um, she was telling me that she had dropped out of school for a couple of years. And due to a number of um, a number of things going on at home really did not think that she would have the confidence at all to do much more than that. I just have to stop here for a second because there's a reason I'm telling this story. This girl who just so gamely agreed to sit down with me and tell me about this vegetable chip business they started she later tells me in Tagalog that she was adopted and, up until high school, didn't really have any problems with the family who took her in. She did very well and got top honors in her class, and that allowed her to attend a private school on scholarship. But when her adoptive dad lost his job, things started to go south. Money became scarce to the point that Although she received another scholarship to go to college, the adoptive parents chose to send her sibling, their own child, to higher education. And what you need to remember is that along with tuition, there are a lot of other costs that come out of pocket with attending college in the Philippines, like daily living expenses, books, supplies, money for transportation, etc. They couldn't afford to give two kids that, so they chose one. Depression set in, and in the two years that she lived at home, she was abused by a relative. Her story isn't singular, as I learn many kids have similar reasons for coming here. I say that I'm floored by them because 
beyond all this, that sheer determination and that will to succeed and make a difference for themselves, it drives these students to do more with the help of others. Everything is done together here, absolutely everything. And repeatedly, she tells me that without her family here at Gawad Kalinga, there's no way her business and her life would have turned out the way it has. It's a support group, and for these young adults, it's the strongest, strongest kind. People who have already faced insurmountable difficulties in their lives find a home and an environment for them to grow in. She's talking about, you know, putting all their products through prototyping, um, spending so much time on product development, marketing, uh, learning the financial end of things. She mentioned that they used to take like tricycles uh, just around town and now they are going to, to Manila and Makati, you know, places in the city where big corporations and big companies are based. One of their co-founders has gone to France and Australia and I met her briefly the other day. She said that she used to be a street vendor and after two years of taking the program has, you know, through very, very hard work, so much perseverance and so much dedication, has managed to put up her business, speak on behalf of her fellow students to those places in, in France and Australia that they've gone to. And as I've spoken to people over time, I've talked to so many people now, you know, you kind of just like, see that coming here, if you expect this beautiful like orchard with organic vegetables and like farm fresh meals every day, not necessarily the case, but that isn't the point. The point is that you have to come with as open and open mind and heart as you possibly can because that is what's most rewarding. You get to meet people from so many different backgrounds, people who come here for very different reasons altogether, but have found their purpose and their place by immersing themselves in the communities. And I think the, 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 the biggest takeaway, at least from this <laughs> little video log that I can share, is that if the students especially who, who come into that SEED program are faced with so many things that would make so many people just falter and fall, it is never a barrier for them and they don't even think of it as a reason to, to not do things and not keep going. And that determination to succeed is driven by the fact that they want to make a difference for the family, for themselves, to as a secondary level, it's, it's always the family first. The great thing about traveling is that you get all these opportunities to be exposed to other people and ideas that hopefully provide enough food for thought for you to learn from. If the only part that I can do 
for now is to share these stories with you. And if you're willing to listen, I hope you are inspired to at least learn more about it and realize that the Philippines is so rich in products that are really, really good. So I've had some carabao milk butter that is bloody fantastic. Um, it's being served in Amanpulo in <clears throat> some of the top restaurants in Manila right now by one of the city's top pastry chefs. I've tasted uh, also ice cream that's made from carabao milk, made with a flavor I tasted that was made with ube. There's so much untapped potential in the Philippines in general, and I truly, truly believe that. Finally, we head to Zimbales, a coastal province also within a few hours drive of Manila. I found out about this trip called Tribes and Tracks Online, and the idea behind the tour just seemed totally up my alley. Going through the, the ancestral lands of the Yangil tribe was such an experience in that it was just why I travel, you know? We got to meet an amazing group of people who were there for something called Life Stories, which is uh, what Mad Travel organizes in coordination with a group called Where To Next. Basically an online group of people who want to travel with purpose. They are curious about the Philippines. There's a group of, I'd say, people in their 20s and 30s, young professionals, who wanted to participate in the kind of tour that allowed them to see things a little bit differently and share a little bit about their life story, any challenges that they're facing, uh, what things are on their mind that mean something to them. And this whole process of just learning about ancestral Philippine cultures, about indigenous tribes whose livelihoods are very, very close to the brink of disappearing. It just highlights the need for sustainable travel and supporting those types of communities because for the Angle tribe, for example, their lands were very nearly wiped off the map when uh, Mount Pinatubo erupted in 1991. Lots of land was just covered in ash and sand and, you know, you have these pictures of, of churches where, you know, the only thing that's left are the tall belfries that, you know, are several stories off the ground. And trekking through that, that terrain where the sun is just punishingly hot. For, for the while that you're walking through it, as, as a traveler from, you know, the city or even out of the country, you go, you know, this is crazy. Who lives in these types of conditions? Then you trek through these rivers that just cut through the lands. You have the mountain ranges in, in your backdrop. You can see it if you look left, right. 
We're walking alongside Carabao's and the chief of the tribe who has accompanied us from the drop-off point uh, up, to, up to their village. And uh, the first thing we did when we got there was we planted seedlings um, because as they explained, you know, much of this terrain really took a very, very long time to regenerate uh, because what once was fertile soil was just covered by sand and ash and nothing grows there. And, you know, just listening to their stories of how after the first several years, life was very, very, very hard for them because it was a day-to-day -day struggle of surviving. And what they were able to previously rely on, things as simple as root crops, uh, fruit from trees, all gone. These ancestral lands are at you know, risk of losing their traditional foodways, their traditional ways of living. Younger people are more and more leaving their, their tribes and going off into the city. And then one story that one of the elders uh, shared was with regard to schooling. And so these kids right now, at the community, they have one hall, which is like a multi-purpose hall, which serves as, you know, community center, place where people gather to talk about, uh, you know, any visitors who are coming to town, just stuff that happens around, also serves as the classroom for basically up until first or second grade. There's about 30 kids there right now, and once you go past that, they basically have to make this 10-kilometer trek, the same, the same trek that we were on, up to the drop-off point where they would have to walk into town, basically, to, to attend school. And everybody does this. From when you're maybe eight or nine years old, um, you know, in the second grade, all the way up to high school, if you make it there, Going back to what we did, we planted some seedlings, black-eyed peas called kadios in, uh, in the local dialect. We stuck them into little um, black bags where you had some potting soil. And I mean, the goal is to just regenerate as much of it as possible. And for some of the trees, you know, they have mango trees, rattan trees. They're eventual goal is to be able to plant these trees into back into the slopes of the mountains which as beautiful as they were looking at them because you could totally see like the contours of, of the mountain ranges uh, you know you realize they're beautiful and you can see so much detail in them but that's because they're completely dedicated to the forest and it's going to take many many years and a lot of heroic effort on behalf of visitors and locals uh, together to begin that process of replanting and being there just makes you realize how much of this is very much a big picture but also very localized and concentrated and after we planted the seedlings we bathed in the river for a little while, and by bathed, I mean, we just got in there with our, our trekking gear, 
rocks everywhere in all our clothing. And then we headed off into the village of the Angel tribe. And we were met by, you know, a small community of about 35 to 50 families, I'd say. Lots of kids around with the biggest, biggest smiles on their faces. The elders of the tribe had prepared this beautiful feast for us with their version of tinola, a chicken soup with uh, green papayas, chili leaves, ginger. And we had their chicken adobo, which was very, very tasty. Some locally grown tomatoes and onions. I mean, everything has to be locally grown because again, really the only way to get into the village is through that trek and the hauling stuff in, like actual like groceries and whatnot, uh, requires the use of a caravel and a cart. And they performed some traditional dances for us. We got to shoot bow and arrows. And just the openness that every person in that community shared with us. You know, people from the city who are just coming in for an afternoon. The outpour of genuine appreciation from, from the kids who were there is the kind of stuff that makes such an impression on you and really does make for, for real travel with purpose because with Mad Travel, their mission is to promote sustainable social tourism, which means that you know, we go there to learn about traditional indigenous cultures and also to provide a form of income for the community where there previously was them. So just to give you a bit of the impact of this, one day before we got there, there was a group of guests who came with Globe Telecom, which are, is one of the two big mobile phone carriers in the Philippines. Someone from that team had visited or heard about uh, the place and had done some kind of fundraiser to donate a solar panel to the community. The chief was, you know, proudly showing us that they now have electricity in their little town hall. And, you know, over time people have donated you know, books for kids, uh, little sets of chairs and tables. Very, very simple, you know, stuff that you need for a classroom. And just that, bringing a solar panel in to provide light and <laughs> for them to, to provide a charging station for their mobile phones, like very, you know, basic mobile phones, like that in itself was a big thing for them because that is their way of communicating with the outside world. In 2017, that is a very concrete example of the benefit that this type of income generation can sustain for communities because it's the combination of being there and learning from other travelers that really, really gives me hope for the future of this type of tourism in the Philippines, of tourism that gives back, of bringing a livelihood into areas that have struggled for very long periods of time of preserving the Eta's culture because one way that made very much sense to me as our guide for Mad Travel had put it is that in the past with so much of the struggle of each person in the community put towards staying afloat, towards living, your focus gets shifted away from preserving the knowledge of what their ancestors have passed on to them through generations. Another activity with it was just walking around 
the forest and having elders and different people from, from the tribe just point out different like plants and how they know how to use it. Uh, a lot of them only have native names, you know, so they'd pick something up, let us like crush the leaves and then, you know, they'd explain that this is used for if you have colds, if kids have a stomach ache, used as a source of food, like different trees and root crops and plants. The important thing is that we recognize at this point that this type of knowledge is something that has to be preserved because if we don't provide communities a means of livelihood to take care of their basic necessities, they have no other choice but to resort to instant noodle packets because that is what's available to them, that's what they can get from town. You know, I mean, doing that diminishes the knowledge and the pride that older folks in the community have and, you know, just doesn't allow them to pass on that knowledge to younger people and younger people that in turn don't see the value in, in preserving all this. And I think that is a great effect as well of having visitors come into the community with a stated purpose of, we don't want to bring in like any luxury facilities or, or, or whatnot for us. Like this is for you because, you know, as much as we're there to experience how people live there on a day-to-day -day basis, we go in with the knowledge that we want to do this to help preserve that heritage. And it's something that I would really like more people to experience, and especially Filipinos who are living abroad or have not grown up in the Philippines. If you travel any place with the mindset of just learning as much as you can from that area, then I think you do walk away with, with a lot more. Special thanks this episode to my friend Dustin of Manila for a Day Tours. Please check them out online at manilaforaday.com. I highly recommend his 3G or God, Gold, and Glory tour for an experience walking around the old city of Intramuros like no other. Also, my warmest thanks to the folks behind Mad Travel. You guys, you've got a place in my heart, and I look forward to working with you on bringing more guests to experience what the Philippines has to offer. Visit madtravel.org for more information about upcoming trips and the amazing partners they work with, like the super chill Circle Hostel in Zimbales, where we stayed. Find them on Facebook and Instagram, where you can also follow Where To Next at WTN underscore Where To Next. You will love this feed. Our theme music is by David Seste. Other music for this episode is by Eric and McGill, Komiku, Jay Blanked, and Blue Dot Sessions. Visit fma.org to hear their music and more. As always, you can find me online at exploringfilipinokitchens.com. We've got past episodes on this site, and you can also find Exploring Filipino Kitchens on Facebook and Instagram. And if you liked what you hear, I would really, really love it if you told a friend. Maraming maraming salamat, and thank you for listening.